Welcome to Hocuston Baptist Church, um, and welcome back to reality for some of you. Uh, I know that the holidays and Christmas um, are a time where we enjoy this time with family, but January 3rd is back to reality for many of us. Uh, so I welcome you back to that reality as we look forward to 2011. Pastor John and I have a running agreement. I think it, it's been in place for a while, and that is that he preaches the Christmas sermon, and I get to preach the New Year's sermon. So I'm looking really, really looking forward to bringing the Word of God to you. The last time I preached, I have to tell you something that funny that happened. Um, I finished up a series on Philemon, a three-week series, and then Pastor John went into his wrestling series after that. But the last sermon that I preached, um, unbeknownst to me, a stink bug landed on my collar during the sermon. And it actually happened during the 1030 service. I'm just going to say that in a soft way. Um, and so apparently... I had no clue, but apparently this stink bug was crawling all around my uh, collar, making, <laughs> making attempts to go down into my collar, and people were sitting on the edge of their st- the seats. And um, I have just a question for you. I- I'm curious about how long were you going to let me be in this situation? But fortunately, there was a pause in the sermon that day, and I got to sit down while a song was sung during the sermon or the teaching time. And my own brother, my own flesh and blood, blood came over to me, and he told me, you have a stink bug on your collar, and he grabbed it. (laughs) So you never know what's going to happen when you're preaching, and I really look forward to that. Um, And we've already seen stink bugs in the area this morning, so we know they're out there. So we're going to keep our eyes out. Um, So I want to begin just by praying um, to the Lord as we go to his word. Father, we're thankful for you and for what you mean to us, and we're thankful for your word. God, and we're thankful for um, the hope of a new year and what it brings and the challenges of a new year and and maybe the hard things that we're about to face. Um, We ask that you would give us the strength as we move forward. And God, I just ask that as I open up your word again um, for your people, God, I just pray that um, my words would not be wise and persuasive, but that they would be full of your spirit, Um, God. So we just call on your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning about your word. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about the past six months of my Christian life. When I talk about my Christian life, I'm talking about my own personal Christian life with God. Uh, As a pastor, that certainly has implications to my profession. But my Christian life is something that I carry a little bit more on the inside. And uh, When you're a pastor, when your Christian life is going great, it's a really great time to serve. But there's always these seasons that we experience as Christians. You know, God stays in the center, but we kind of swing back and forth around his love. And and we experience drier times and richer times. So the last six months for me has been just a time of motion in my life. And I would say that in my Christian life, I would say that God became a little bit out of focus. Like, he was not as focused in my life as he should have been. And I'm sure that you've had times like this, too. Um, The way I think about it is that it's not that I was living inaccurately before the Lord. I wasn't just going through the motions. But then there was something that was inadequate about the way that I was living with the Lord. Um, And so maybe you can relate to that. So it's in this season that this sermon kind of started to build itself. My default position with God and how I interact with him is I really like to ask God questions. 
I'm constantly asking him questions. I figured Jesus was the king of asking good questions. So I follow him in that way. I'm, I'm constantly, when I pray to the Lord, seeking him kind of in a question format. But during this time of where God became a little bit out of focus, I stopped asking him questions. And I, in a new way, I started to listen to him. And, and that kind of required me to just let the questions, lay them aside for a while and just begin to listen to the Lord. And it was also during that time that Pastor John was preaching his sermon series uh, uh, called Wrestling, where we saw Jacob and his family wrestling with the Lord and understanding what it means for them to take on this call of the Lord. And uh, I think Pastor John's timing was right on timing for me at that point in my life. And so I was in this season, and then I had this really neat opportunity, which came at the perfect time in my life. I spent a week down in Atlanta seeking the Lord. And this week was really uh, rich for me. It would actually take me three days to tell you about it, so we're not going to do that now. I spent three days after when I came home just telling my wife about what I learned about myself and God during this time, and it was a really rich time. I feel like I was reminded of kind of a lot of things. I was reminded that I needed to be less fearful about bringing Jesus into like, the conversations of my life. In other words, I needed to actually talk about Jesus with the people that were around me all the time. And, uh, you know, you can help me keep me accountable on that, but I did practice it on the plane ride home. And it was really amazing how well it worked when I actually started talking about Jesus in a very natural, humble, authentic way. People had the ears to listen. I also learned that uh, I need to focus on shepherding my wife and my children more intently. Like, I really need to allow them to come into my Christian life in a deeper way. Um, and Libby can hold me accountable on that, my wife, Libby. And um, that's between us and, and the Lord. But um, I also felt like God, kind of like Jacob, he started to speak over me, my identity and who I am with the Lord. And it was, a, like I said, it was a rich time. But I want to bring something to you this morning that... Uh, came out of the season. And it has to do with how we approach the Word of God. How we approach the Word of God. And that's the question or the the idea that we're going to rest on this morning. If you had asked me, you know, maybe like late summer 2010 or early fall 2010, if you had come to me and said, what do you think about God's Word? What do you think about God's Word? I probably would have, my first reaction, I think, at least in my mind, would have been, the Word of God is something that I should know more about. I think that's probably what I would have thought, that the Word of God had become to me um, something that I simply needed to know more about or wanted to know more about. And as a Christian, that's, that's a good thing. But when that becomes your first thought about the Word of God, I don't think that's a good place to rest. Um, so with that in mind, uh, I went to my closest friend's all 546 of them, and I updated my Facebook status. And I asked my friends on Facebook, I said, what do you love about God's Word? Because I was curious, and it was really enriching just to see how everyone dialogued on Facebook about what they loved about God's Word. And it was very encouraging to me that even some of you commented about what you love about God's Word. And um, it was just a good reminder. 
And this morning, I think that's what I want this to be, is a reminder for you about what you love about God's Word. I believe that for much of the church, we have neglected the idea of coming to God's Word as a meal. We've neglected that in our Christian lives. Many of us have neglected coming to God's Word as a meal. And I needed, in this time of dryness, I needed a new image for me to fall back in love with God's Word. And the image for me became a meal. And I turned to Isaiah 55, and I meditated on Isaiah 55 for a while. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 55. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you where Isaiah 55 falls um, in the prophet Isaiah's message. Isaiah had two messages for the nation of Israel. Um, The first message was one of judgment. And the second message was one of comfort and salvation. On the one hand, judgment was coming to the nation of Israel. They were about to go in exile. They were about to go in slavery. But on the other hand, the prophet Isaiah speaks about the comfort and the salvation of the Lord and how it was offered to the nation of Israel much the same way it's offered to us. So that's what Isaiah's message is, one of judgment and one of comfort and salvation. So we're going to look at Isaiah 55, 1, the first verse. And I want to offer a meditation on this verse. I want to offer a meditation around four words that I began to meditate on in this verse. And I want to offer them to you, and I want us to think about how would the nation of Israel, the exiled nation of Israel, how would they have heard these words? And then maybe how should we hear them today and respond to them when we think about God's word as a meal? So that's where we're headed. The first word is thirsty. I'll read verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I began to wonder, did the exiled nation of Israel, did they understand thirst? And it doesn't take long to to remember that they they really did understand thirst, uh, more so than probably we do in a very real way. I want to read Lamentations chapter 4 for you. It should be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young. But my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. And listen to verse 4. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. Now the next 16 verses actually get even more depressing for the nation of Israel and the thirst that they experienced until we read verse 22. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile. 
So it becomes clear that the exiles knew what it means to be thirsty. And as I meditated on God's word, and that word thirsty, what does it mean that I'm thirsty for God or his word? That was the question that I started to layer into. Which led into the next word, come. Listen to verse 1 again. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. It's repeated four times, this invitation to come. Then I thought about this nation in exile, where they invited to come, where they offered this invitation. And we have Isaiah's word right here that, that tells us that they were. They were invited to come. And then I thought, well, did they come? You know, did they come? This passage, Isaiah 55, is very closely aligned with Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talks about this great wedding feast of the kingdom of God. And the servants go out and invite the invited guests, but they refuse to come or they don't come. They have something else to do or they're busy or they neglect the invitation to come. So they have to go to the street corners and they, they just cast the message out to the street corners, to anyone that will listen, who will come to this wedding banquet of the kingdom of God. And when I started to meditate on this word, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, I started to think about in my own life, was I coming to God? Or if I was coming, how was I coming? Was I actually trying to bring something to Scripture that I should not have been? Which helped me layer into the next word, which is by. Listen to this, verse 1 again. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy. Now that sounds like a false statement. How do you buy something without money? And I reflected on that and I meditated on it. How do you buy something without money when it comes to a godly life or a Christian life? And the only thing that you can buy without money is salvation. And as I started looking in the New Testament, I saw this. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And 1 Peter 1, verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is really interesting because Jesus quotes Isaiah 55. Listen to him. He says to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost the spring of water of life. That's what Jesus says, and he says it almost as a reference back to Isaiah 55. And I thought about, well, what does it mean for us to come and buy without money? And that's an image of us coming uh, to the Lord with nothing to offer. We have no money, um, and yet we, we receive and accept his salvation. And then I started to kind of work backward. Is this, is this, was this even true for the exiles? And I found myself in Lamentations 5, Um, Lamentations chapter 5 kind of builds on this idea of the exiles just lamenting their situation. 
But listen to this. Um, think about how they understood what it meant to buy water. Lamentations chapter 5. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, and our mothers are widows. Verse 4. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword of the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish with hunger. I thought about that image that the nation of Israel experienced in exile. Their skin was hot as an oven, feverish with the hunger, because they didn't have the money to buy the bread and the water that they needed. And then Isaiah comes and says, Come, you who are thirsty, come and buy, you who have no money. The, the Israelites, the nation in exile, they knew what it meant not to have any money, and yet still be coming for salvation. And that's what they were offered and I, got, I started thinking the Israel nation was exiled. Um, and, as so, and when they were, they were spiritually and physically bankrupt. And it just reminded me that we come to Scripture the same way, even as we, we sung this morning. We don't have anything to offer um, except our response to come. And then we receive this gift. We buy without money. It's really a profound idea that Isaiah offers us today about his word. And then that led into the fourth word that I began to meditate on. And this, to me, was the one that really started to strike me in an inner place. And I think um, it really is a challenging thing for us to think about as Christians today. And that is the word eat. Isaiah 55, 1. Read it one last time. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. And I as I meditate on this, I just had this image of the Word of God as this meal set before us. We, we often feel our thirst, and, and many of us can even recognize our spiritual thirst. We, we understand that spiritually things are missing, so we become thirsty spiritually, and, and we react to that. So we come to the Word of God. And then through salvation, we recognize that we can't buy this with our own money we actually have to use the precious price that was paid for us to even partake in this meal. And then the meal is set before us, and we're encouraged to eat it, and yet we sit there, and we're not exactly sure how to eat the meal that's before us. And I think for me, this became the image of my Christian life when I thought about the Word of God. What does it mean for me to look at the Word of God as a meal set before me, and what does it mean for me to eat this meal? And this is the place, I think, where we get to where if we think about God's Word as a meal, that's a nice, pretty picture, and it's a challenging picture. But what does it mean for us as Christians to partake on the Word of God as a meal? And that's where um, I started thinking about biblical meditation. And I think um, even Isaiah knew that they needed to go a little bit deeper around this idea about what it means to eat. Listen to verse 2 and how he expounds upon eating. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not, does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good 
and your soul will delight in the richest affair. He goes on to describe the everlasting covenant that, that is made with the nation of Israel, one that will last forever. And he talks about how his ways are higher than our ways. And he talks about um, just these beautiful things of understanding. And then he gets to verse 11 where he describes the power of his, his own word. We'll start at verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the water, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I think we have a reminder here from Isaiah that God's word will accomplish his desires. Um, And in this meditation, I, I found myself back at the point of coming to God's word as a meal out of love and out of delight and out of my appetite for it. Um, and through this season, it really became a fresh way to look at God's Word. I'd like to offer uh, kind of a teaching on biblical meditation, because what I started to do was meditate on God's Word, and and I looked into what biblical meditation is. I think the the idea of biblical meditation, uh, number one, it is a biblical idea, Um, but secondly, I think we're a little cautious when we think about meditation. Um, I'm no expert on worldly or Eastern meditation or other forms of meditation, and I'm glad I'm not, but there is um, this idea when it comes to meditation that we will empty ourselves. That's kind of a common idea. But the cool thing with biblical meditation is there's always a word that follows the word meditation in Scripture. It's meditate on. Meditate on. Almost every place that you find the idea of meditation in Scripture, it's always on something. So first, I want, want to, before we talk about what meditation is, I want to tell you what Scripture calls us to meditate on. The first thing that we are called to meditate on is God's Word, His law, decrees, statutes, precepts. Listen to Psalm 1, verse 2. It should be on the screen. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Psalm 119, verse 48. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. So the first thing that we should meditate on is God's word. And you'll find that in many scriptures. The other thing that God points us to, he says, meditate on my unfailing love. Psalm 48, verse 9. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Within your temple, we meditate on your unfailing love. The third thing that we're supposed to meditate on is God's mighty works and his wonderful deeds. Psalm 77, verse 12. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. The fourth thing and the final thing that we should meditate on are God's promises. Psalm 119, verse 148. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So these are the four ideas that our meditation should rest on. God's word, his his beautiful and mighty works, his unfailing love, and his promises. So as you think about biblical biblical meditation in your own life, it should always be directed on those things. I think that's a helpful uh, thought to keep in mind. But what is meditation? Uh, The Hebrew word kagal 
It means several things. It means to muse or to consider or to meditate or to ruminate or to speak. Um, The word ruminate is an interesting one. The word ruminate means to think about over and over again, to ponder, to meditate upon. But the word ruminate comes from the word ruminant. And the word ruminant is a word that describes an animal, like a cattle, like a cow. And a ruminant animal, he, uh, he eats what he eats, and then he, um, then he chews the cud. The phrase chewing the cud um, also means to ponder, or to ruminate, or to consider. It's kind of like a, just a phrase that we no longer use, actually. I don't, <laughs> I don't use that word, or that phrase, chewing the cud. But maybe you've heard it before. It comes from cows, because what they do is they, they eat the grass, or whatever. I think cows will basically eat whatever you put in front of them. Because for them, it doesn't, they don't care what they eat. It's all about how they digest it. So you'll put some grass in front of them, or some whatever else they eat, and, and they'll eat it, and then they'll regurgitate it. When they regurgitate it, it becomes the cud. And then they'll do it a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. They actually have four layers to their stomachs. So they will over and over again regurgitate um, the cud, and I see some of your facial expressions right now. <laughs> but stay with me. Uh, <laughs> chewing the cud is meditation, because when we chew the cud on God's word, we digest it, and we regurgitate it, and then we draw more nutrients out. That's why a cow, I guess, can get two or 300 pounds on grass, because they just can draw the nutrients out so efficiently um, using the cud that, that they become... I guess obese <laughs> on the cud. But it, it's, it's a really um, interesting picture when it comes to meditation. And I, wanna, I want you to, to think about that. In closing, I want to give you uh, two examples. Because I think we can talk about biblical meditation. We can think about God's Word as a meal, a meal that we actually eat. But what does that look like in real life? I want to give you two um, places that it shows up. And... I want to give you two honest examples where it it showed up in my life. Um, The first is, I think, a place for you to meditate is a place where you either have a question or a dark concern with how God operates. And think about, like, what are your questions, your big questions about God? And then begin to meditate on his word around those questions. When uh, Libby and I had our 10-year wedding anniversary about five years ago, we went to California, and we drove up the coast from Los Angeles up to San Francisco, and I'm glad we started in Los Angeles and went north rather than vice versa, because it just keeps getting, getting better and better the further north you go. Basically, from Santa Barbara to San Francisco is just, it's like one, you know, National Geographic photo after another, and it's, it's a really beautiful place. Um, but while we were in L.A., we had the opportunity to visit this place called the Dream Center. The Dream Center is a ministry center in the heart of L.A. that really takes the least of these and the darkest people, and it, and it really says, you know, come into the Christian life, and we'll walk with you. And we got a tour of, they, they have a whole city block, they have a hospital. Well, they took an old hospital and renovated it into the, the ministry center. It was the first Dream Center. There's Dream Centers around the country now. Um, and it, it has to do with rescue ministry. Um, but I, we, we were able to get a tour of this on vacation. And, I mean, we had a great vacation, but this really stood out, just this, this time of touring this Dream Center. Um, but as we were driving around the site, Libby just happened to take a snapshot or a picture 
and it should be on the screen. It was this picture right outside of the stream center where we saw this guy, and she just happened to take a picture. And because she took the picture, it became a snapshot in, like, on our vacation reel of pictures. And then it became a snapshot in my life because I started to interact with some, some homeless men in our area and, and started trying to figure out like, why they, why, you know, what was happening with this. And um, so I went to Scripture and I found this verse called Psalm 36, verses 5 and 6. And I really love the uh, Eugene Peterson version, which is a message, and I started to meditate on it. And um, I started to kind of live this verse and, and think about it. And it really started to kind of sink inside of me. Um, the verse goes like this, God's love is meteoric. His loyalties astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. And I didn't try to memorize that verse, but as I meditated on it, it got written on my heart. And, it, and w- when I saw this person this photo, originally I was very frustrated with it because I felt like, in some roundabout way, it had to be God's fault. There had to be some faultness on God. Um, but when I meditated on this scripture... And I meditated on God's love, how it's meteoric, his loyalty. The word loyalty that NIV uses, faithfulness, how his faithfulness is astronomic, beyond thinking. And how his purpose and his verdicts um, go beyond us. And then once I had that scripture in my head, I realized that I was looking at this person from just an earthly standpoint. But when I meditated on scripture, it changed how I thought about the world. So I encourage you in that way. I also encourage you uh, to find the honest places in your life where Scripture is showing up in a positive or joyful way. I believe that the Word of God will show up in our lives because God, like we just read, He's going to have His purpose done by the Word of God. I don't think it's going to necessarily be bound up um, by the leather covers that we give it. Um, So think about where does the Word of God show up into your life? Where has someone spoken it over you? Where has it shown up on a poster or on a place or in a song? And then find those places, joyful places, where um, his word can come into your life and then meditate upon that. Uh, For one of my birthdays, Libby made me a poster that had a picture of a guitar and then the handprint of all the kids. And it was really cool. I really liked it. I said, thanks. I hung it in my office. And then after a while, um, I just happened to look at it again, and I realized... There was actually a scripture verse on the poster. And I had kind of overlooked that when I first got it because I was focused on the handprints and how it looked cool. And um, so I started to look at this poster, you know, over and over again. And I realized it had a verse on it. So I just started reading the verse. And it became a prayer for my life that uh, has become really profound for me. And it's Psalm 42.8. And it says, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. And this, these three sentences became a way for me to live throughout the day. So by day, God was directing his love. And at night, I would go to bed with his song, which I love songs, and I love that idea of going to bed with God's song. And this became the prayer to the God of my life. So it's just cool how, in a joyful way, the scripture came not by the bounds of, of, of a book, the way we, the form that we put it in, but it just showed up in my life 
through my wife and, and through that example that she gave. And um, it was really cool. And I want to leave you with something this morning, um, something tangible that you can hold on to and, and walk away with in closing. Uh, and hopefully the ushers are here to pass out the cards. Yes. The ushers are going to pass out a card for you. And um, as you take it, I just want to kind of explain what this card is for and how it can be used. Um, now, don't get your hopes up. This is not like the Oprah show where I'm going to, you know, unfold some magical gift for you. Um, but it is something that I think tangible that you can take away this morning and carry on this idea of what true biblical meditation is. And that's the idea of repeating. It's profound. Whenever Scripture talks about meditation, it talks also about the idea of repeating day and night, always on your lips. Joshua 1.8 says that his words would always be on his lips, that he would repeat them, his law, day and night. So as you take this card, it has a symbol on the front, and you'll see it when you get it. Uh, The symbol is a symbol of the repeat symbol that you would see like in iTunes if you repeated a song or an album. And for me, I love to repeat a song in my life, like a, a musical song. When I find a song that I like, I will listen to it like at least for a week long over and over again, the same song. And it really, I mean, if I find a song that I just absolutely love, I will listen to it over and over again. So I need to be careful about what I listen to because it gets into my brain. And, um, but I thought about this idea of repeating. And I think the challenge for all of us is that we would approach Scripture as a meal and a meal that we would eat over and over again. You know, we have Thanksgiving dinner, and we have Christmas Eve dinner, and Christmas Day dinner, and New Year's Eve dinner, and these are great celebrations, but then we eat every day. We come to, this, to the meal, and we partake of the meal every day. We repeat it, and we let it repeat itself, and then we, uh, we think about it, and we meditate upon it. So this card I gave you, it has uh, the repeat symbol on the front, and what I would encourage you to do is find the honest places in your life either around your dark question or this joyous thing that's coming into your life and find a scripture that you want to meditate on and then just write it on the back and then just carry this card with you until it seeps into your mind and your thoughts. And then don't even try to memorize it, just meditate upon it. And you will memorize it in the process. Um, But meditation is deeper because you're, you're drawing out the nutrients from God's scripture in a regurgitative way over and over again. And it's, it's a beautiful picture. So I, I encourage you um, to do that and to be challenged by that. Uh, and as we close, I'd like just to pray over you around this idea. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we're grateful for your word. And uh, God, forgive us for times in our lives when we do um, see the word as something that we just need to get more, get something more out of. Um, in an unholy way. But God, I pray that you would give us more times where we would come to your word out of love, that we would see it um, as the meal that you offer us. God, we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 5 where you describe to us about how to care for our wives, and you talk about the love that Jesus has for his church, how he washes her with the water of the word. God, and we want to be washed in the water of the word, and And we believe, God, that to be washed by the water of the word is to meditate upon it and let it become who we are. 
God, there are so many ordinary things in life, um, and yet the Word of God is one of those things that is not ordinary that we get to meditate upon and think about. So I just pray, God, for each person here that they would be uh, guided by your Spirit into uh, the Scripture that you are calling them to meditate upon. God, all of your Word is good and, and worthwhile and worth thinking about. So help us not to be too afraid just to dive right in and find a scripture from Psalms or somewhere else that we enjoy and to meditate upon it. So I just um, offer that up, God, for each person here, a request that you would um, allow us in the new year just to meditate upon your word daily and nightly as a meal. God, and we know that by doing so that we worship you because when we eat, we worship And we want to worship you this morning with our lives, and we want to worship you this year with our year. Um, So we come to you, God, to our daily bread, and and we remember you, and um, we just thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.